Hey everyone, welcome back to another Plugged In episode on the CPC Podcast. This Plugged In episode is brought to you by Gravity Student Ministries, the youth ministries of Centerpoint Pentecostal Church. We pray that this episode blesses you and challenges you and gives you the answers that you have been looking for for quite some time. I know that this message is going to be anointed and we know that it's going to bless you. So without any further ado, let's get into today's Plugged In episode. Okay, I'm going to be skipping around in a lot of scriptures, so I don't have an opening text for you, so you may be seated. Uh (laughs) We're going to be kind of bouncing around. Um, If you're part of the Gravity Girls on over the phone Bible study, you already know what I'm talking about tonight. Y'all got a y'all got a sneak peek the other week. That's fine. Good. Forget. Don't try to remember. It'll be, it'll be fresh. It, it, we'll pretend it's the first time you've heard it. It'll be good. Uh, like I was explaining to the choir in the atrium when we were in prayer, uh, I tend to teach you as I learn. So this is a topic that I've been mulling over in my head. I call it an atrium. Um, and you cannot correct me. I'm, I'm an adult. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I call it an atrium. It's a fancy word. I like it. Um, so I've been thinking about John the Beloved. Do we know who John the Beloved is? Yeah, John the Apostle, John the Beloved, John the Loved, John the Revelator. He's got lots of names. For those of you who watch The Chosen, this is our boy. This, this is who we're talking about tonight. Okay, I, I would not. Rec- I watched the chosen, and I would not recognize him. But anyway, it's fine. Okay, so we're going to talk about John the Beloved. My title tonight is Beloved to Revelator. All right, let's just start out real simple. Who was John? John was the brother of James and the son of a man named Zebedee. Gosh, I love biblical names, y'all. John was also Jesus' cousin, which is really cool. And we know that before Jesus called John into ministry, he was a fisherman. John and his brother James were business partners with brothers Peter and Andrew. I did not know they were business partners. I did not realize this. But this is, this is yes, they were business partners. And they had a successful business. A lot of times when I think about the apostles who were fishermen, I think of, you know, bent backs in an old nasty in an old nasty boat and they're like throwing out their tattered nets like oh, I gotta catch me some fish so I can eat now. No. These were these were successful businessmen who dropped their very successful business at the first call from the Lord. And that just puts things in a whole new perspective. Little fun fact, I don't know if you knew this, I didn't know this. John's mother also became a follower of Jesus, but we never hear anything about John's dad, Zebedee. So we're going to assume that Zebedee did not get on the Zion train, but his mama did. Another fun fact, if you did not know, brothers John and James were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder by Jesus in Mark 3 and 17. The sons of thunder. It is, it is posited 
it is uh, estimated that the reason why Jesus gave them that nickname was because they probably had a temper. There was there so there there was an instance in the Bible where where they they were ministering to some. This is not what I studied, so I don't know this fully. But they were ministering to some people, and those people were just not receiving what they had to say and were being really ugly. And the Bible says that like John and James were like, "Okay, Lord, do you want us to call fire from heaven to consume them?" And Jesus was like, "No." <laughs> Jesus was like, "Chill." <laughs> And this just it further it further proves my idea that God has a sense of humor. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for having a sense of humor. All right. So John, the apostle, became known as John the Beloved because of his close bond with the Lord. There are several scriptures kind of dotted uh, throughout that refer to him as such, namely John thirteen and twenty three. This is at the, the Last Supper, the, the final lunch. I will never let that go. <laughs> and John 13 and 23 says, Now there was, leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That is John. So because of John's love and devotion to the Lord, to the Master, John the Beloved was part of an inner circle of disciples. So we've got John. Does anyone want to take a guess at who the other two disciples were in that inner circle? Just start naming disciples. They already got John. Peter and James. Very good. So James, James and John, the two brothers, and Peter comprised this inner circle. And their relationship, they had a level of intimacy with Jesus that the other disciples did not have. Think about that for a minute. It's kind of like you and me. We've got this, this big circle of acquaintances, people that we know and we're friendly with. Like I, like I know what your name is, but I don't know anything about you kind of thing. People that you kind of high and by, that's a really big circle. And then in, in a smaller circle, you might have four maybe really you know good friends people that you hang out with and that you know pretty well or or maybe maybe people that you minister with or you know people that you go to school with you got a slightly smaller group of friends there but then if you're if you're lucky you've got that one that one bestie for life right so the circle gets smaller and smaller and as that circle gets smaller the importance of those people increases the 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 level of intimacy you have with that person or persons increases and it, it was the same for jesus right so he had all of his followers the multitude then he had the 12 and then he had these three the inner circle james john and peter only these three were allowed to witness when jesus raised to life the daughter of jarius in mark 5 and 37 only these three were allowed to see the transfiguration on the mount in Matthew 17, 1 through 2. And only these three entered into the garden of Gethsemane with Jesus in Matthew 26 and 37. Why is that important? Because intimacy with the Lord will grant you access to deeper experiences with him. Intimacy 
is what gets you into the garden. Intimacy is what gets you on the mount. Intimacy is what gets you in the room where the miracle is happening. It's intimacy. And we've been talking about this. It's been a huge theme in, in all of our services, like, like that deeper level, right? Like going deeper in God and operating in, in the gifts and operating in the spirit and, and the foundation of being able to move deeper is intimacy with the Lord. So what, what is intimacy? Y'all know. I love me some dictionary.com. I got the app on my phone. I got the app on my iPad. I love dictionary.com. So what is, what is intimacy? It has a couple of definitions. The first being a close personal relationship. Okay, cool. The second one being a close association with or a deep understanding slash detailed knowledge of something or someone. But then there's this third definition, and this is the part where I learned something, y'all. The third definition of intimacy is liberty. Right? Literally what I said. Sitting at my computer going, huh, liberty. So, 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 so intimacy with the Lord is somehow tied to liberty, huh? Okay, let's check this out. David said it like this in Psalm 119, 44 through 45. I told you I got a lot of scripture. He said, so shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Okay, so David, you're telling me that you and I, we in this room, we can walk in divine liberty when we keep the Lord's laws and when we seek his precepts. What is a precept? A precept is a commandment or a direction given as a rule of action or conduct. It is a commandment for the way that you conduct yourself. It is a commandment for the way that you live and the way that you act. David is saying that if you and I obey God's laws and we seek his commandments, we will walk in liberty. Like, what? Okay. So what does this liberty mean? Does this liberty mean that I'm free from strife and pain? No. Does it mean that I'm free from ever feeling fear? No. Does this mean that I'm free from the consequences of all of my actions? No. <laughs> no. We, see, see, see we, we have this really bad, and it, it's a habit is what it is. We have this really bad habit, this really bad mindset of thinking that, like, if I'm feeling fear, if I'm feeling afraid, if I'm not feeling great, then I don't have liberty. Then, then I don't, then I don't have liberty. Then I don't have power in the Holy Ghost. Like, it, it's somehow we believe that because I'm afraid, it means I'm powerless. And because I'm afraid, it means that God's not on my side or God's not pleased with me. Because I'm afraid, God can't use me. And that is not the case. I've said this before. I'll say it again. This is not in my notes, but people say that Fear is the opposite of faith. I do not believe that. I do not subscribe to that belief. I believe that faith is the tool that you and I use to press forward despite the fear that we're feeling, despite whatever it is that we are going through. Well, I was, I was talking to you, David, about this 
couple couple weeks back, we, we think that when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, that the only way to find peace, the only way to find those still waters that Psalms talks about, the only way to, to, to have a good day is when you've gone all the way through the valley and now you're in a good spot. No, 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 no. Because the scripture says that in the valley of the shadow of death, he will bring you to the still waters and he will lead you to the green pastures. In your nasty, stinky situation, God can still use you. God can still restore you. God can still give you liberty. And clearly, this is going to be a short lesson, clearly we will still go through hard times, obviously. Like, no, no one's saying that just because we have power in God, just because you have the Holy Ghost, that things are going to be amazing. They're just not. And even John the Beloved went through trials. You see, there was a transition from John the Beloved into John the Revelator. There was a series of events between those two seasons of his life. There, there, was, a, there was a big gap there. So let me tell you the story. While John was ministering in Ephesus, the Roman emperor of the time, I think it's pronounced Domitian, he heavily persecuted the Christians. And after he identified John as one of the pillars, one of the leaders of the Christian movement, he had him captured and, say it with me, boiled alive in hot oil. Yeah, boiled alive in hot oil. Okay. But after seeing that John was uninjured, the very same hands that threw him into the oil rushed to pull him out. And so after failing to kill John with hot burning oil, that was a miracle. After failing to kill him, Domitian exiled him to the island of Patmos to work in the mines there. Now, if you don't know anything about the Isle of Patmos, it was this little bitty island off the coast of Rome or something. Off the geography, off the coast of something. It was a little bitty island, and the Romans would take all of the people that they hated, all of the prisoners, all of the, the, the worst of the worst, right? And they would chuck them on this island and be like, work the mines, die. Hmm. So John, the beloved who had a very close relationship with the Lord, loved the Lord, was loved by the Lord, walked in liberty in his life because of that intimacy, was put on a prison island. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like, just think of like all of, all of the worst of the worst that we've got in, in prisons today. It, it would be like like the like the Hunger Games, and and the and the purge and the just oh, it would be terrible, terrifying. And guess what? John was there for two years, two years. But 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 it was during his two years of exile on a literal prison island that John was given the prophetic vision that he wrote as the book of Revelation. If you didn't know, 
The book of Revelation is literally one giant vision that the Lord gave John and said, write this down, Bubba. Oh my God. Yes, the entire book. And it's John, it's John writing, writing as fast as he's seeing stuff, not understanding everything that he's seeing, but doing his best to record it. And there's even a, a point in the book of Revelation where an angel after, after one of the seals is opened, an angel speaks something like over the earth. And John goes, oh, okay, okay, goes, start to write it down. And, and the angel says, uh-uh, don't write that down. Don't record that. Oh, right? Right? The, the, greatest, the greatest book of prophecy ever came when a man loved by God, devoted to God, walking in liberty, ministering in Ephesus, was put on a prison island, was exiled for, for living for God, for, for working for the kingdom, for, for ministering, for preaching the word of God, for preaching the good news that they were commissioned to share, right? So even through all of the struggles, John still kept his intimacy with the Lord. How do I know that? Well, how else could God give him this incredible prophetic vision except that John on the Isle of Patmos was still seeking after the Lord in the middle of his mess. He was still, that's who he was. John the Beloved was who he was. It was an identity that he said, I am going to have intimacy. I am going to have a closeness with the Lord and I am going to be close with the Lord no matter what circumstance I'm in and no matter what season of life I'm in. I am still going to seek after the Lord, after his commandments and after his precepts. You see, walking in liberty doesn't mean that you're exempt from pain, but it does mean that we have the freedom to walk through that pain with the understanding that this is not going to take me out. This is not the end, right? Psalm 30 and 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Walking in liberty means that I understand that this too shall pass. It means that even though I'm hurting and I'm afraid, I have a blessed assurance. I know that goodness and mercy are right behind me. You see, bad things are going to happen. And for a lot of you, bad things are happening right now. Here's the deal. You can't control the bad things that come. You can't. You can control your reaction to those bad things. You can control how, how like crazy out of control, you know what I mean? Like you get so upset and then you just get mad. You just lash out at everything and everyone. Don't say nothing. Looking at you, looking at my husband, don't say nothing. I see him back there, he's grinning. I don't have to react to every hardship in my life as though it's the end of the world, right? My reaction is up to me. The things that happen to me are not up to me, except for the messes I put myself in, because we do that. I have this little picture, this little art piece that I bought in, uh, in Texas when I went for my birthday last year. And it's a little little doodle fella. And it says, oh God, everything's over. And then it says, actually, I was overreacting. Everything is okay. 
<laughs> I keep this by my desk because, because we literally do that. The smallest inconvenience comes our way and we get so mad at God and we get mad at, at the people who are above us. We get mad at our teachers. We get mad at our parents. We get mad at everybody. But not every little inconvenience in my life is worth the hissy fit that I give it. It's just true. And can you imagine for a second if John the Beloved, because remember, remember, he was beloved when he was placed on Patmos. He was beloved when he walked through his valley of the shadow of death. He was beloved. He was doing everything right. Can you imagine that if John the Beloved was, th was thrown on the island and then he just had a fit and got mad about it and said, well, I'm not talking to you anymore, gave Jesus the cold shoulder, do you think that we would even have the book of Revelation? I don't think so. I think not. So John had intimacy with the Lord. He had that deep relationship. And John was able to walk in liberty and is now known as a pillar of the early church. John wrote five books of the New Testament. And John was the only disciple present at the crucifixion. Did you know that? He was the only one there at the feet of Jesus. The Bible says that the rest of the disciples scattered. They ran and they hid. John the Beloved was the only one at the feet of Jesus in the very, the only disciple at the feet of Jesus at the very end. And did you know, I did not know this, did you know that in John 19 verses 26 through 27, Jesus from the cross looks down at John and gives John Mary's care. He says, son, behold your mother. Mother? Behold your son. He put his mother, Mary, into the care of John the Beloved. How much trust, how much, how much of a relationship, of a friendship, must have been between Jesus and John for Jesus to literally entrust his mother to him when he's on death's door? It's, an, it's incredible. And guess what? John was a teenager. When John met Jesus, when Jesus called out to the fishermen and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, John was a teenager. He was the youngest of the 12. When John left his successful business, answered the call of ministry and followed Jesus, researchers placed him at around 17 or 18. Who's y'all's age? Just about, just about y'all's age. And let me tell you something. You're not too young to have intimacy with the Lord. You are not too young to walk in the liberty that comes with living your life hand in hand with God. You are not too young to walk in the power and in the liberty that comes when you keep the Lord's commandments and when you seek his precepts, when you love his law, when you seek after his word, you are not too young to have that intimacy. In fact, I would argue the opposite. As a young person, you possess some really specific qualities that, that God's looking for. You know, the Bible talks about that unless you come to him as a child, 
you're not even going to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's important. You've not been hardened by the world yet. You, you in this room, you are easily moved by God. You are easily touched by God. You want God to move in this place and in your life and in your homes. You guys want that. You are in a prime window, a prime season of your lives right now. The 90% of you, 95% of you don't have a job yet. All right? You don't have a career. All right? You're not paying bills. You're not living on your own. And I'm not, I'm not going to discount the things that you are going through because I, I know I was a teenager not too long ago. I, I do know that what you go through right now is difficult. But please understand that you are in a prime window of opportunity right now to make up your mind and say, I'm going to walk hand in hand with God. I am going to have intimacy with the Lord. And that intimacy has to be nurtured. It has to be an on-purpose thing. You don't just accidentally get close to your bestie, right? You put effort into that friendship with your bestie. You put effort. You made sacrifices to be there when they needed you and vice versa. It's, 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 it's an action. It's not something that happens passively. It's on purpose. You have a divine appointment to walk in and live in liberty. But this intimacy with God, it's, it's going to require some vulnerability. And thankfully, thankfully, you guys are really good at that. Can I just say? You guys are really good, really good at letting God move, even when it doesn't look pretty. And I commend you for that. That is such, some, some people, that doesn't come naturally. No, yeah, like hand clap to you. That's awesome. If that doesn't come naturally for some people. Some people really have to work at vulnerability. It's hard for some people. And I am so happy to see that you young people, that you're able to be vulnerable with the Lord, that you're able to trust in him. Because the intimacy that we need, it requires vulnerability and it requires us to trust him. Each and every one of us has an opportunity, and I would even say an obligation, to walk in liberty. Why? Because remember, I'm not just living my life in a godly way just for myself. I am trying to live in a godly manner for the people around me, right? I am trying to be a good example for the people around me, for the lost souls who are around me. When we are in a worship setting we've talked about this when we're in a worship setting i'm gonna worship even if i don't feel like it not necessarily for myself but for the person sitting next to me who is maybe feeling bound up maybe feeling tied up like they can't move you have an obligation to walk in liberty in your own life to bring liberty into a church service with you. You have an obligation to walk in liberty and bring that liberty with you when you come here for worship and when you come here for altar call. You have an obligation to take that liberty and bring it downstairs when you go into big church. And I know that it's scary, but I promise you that the same way that you respond to God up here, the same way that God moves on us in here, he can move on you downstairs too. If you walk in liberty, you can help the person next to you do the same.
On behalf of Gravity Student Ministries, thank you so much for checking out today's Plugged In episode. If you're ever in the Centerpoint, Louisiana area and you want to come check out one of our services in person, we have them every Wednesday night, 7.05 p.m. in the Upstairs Youth Sanctuary at Centerpoint Pentecostal Church. We would love to have you be a part of us. In the meantime, though, hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll see you on the next Plugged In episode. See you later.